Hi there. Welcome back to Health Law Diagnosed, a Mint podcast dedicated to health law, health policy, and social issues in the healthcare industry. I'm Bridgie Killer, your podcast host. Today, I'm joined by three of my colleagues from the Health Practice Group, members Laura Compton, Deb Decord, and Daria Newenhouse, to discuss California's newly proposed regulation that will require notice and review of certain transactions involving healthcare entities in California. Thanks so much for joining me, everyone. I'd like to start off with a round of introductions so that you all can meet today's guests. Laura, could you start us off? Hi, I'm Laura Compton. I'm a member in our Los Angeles office, healthcare regulatory attorney, and I spend quite a bit of time assisting our clients dealing with different filings that are required in connection with changes of eldership. Thanks, Laura. Deb, would you mind? Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Dacord. I'm based in our Boston office and have spent the last three decades or so working with health industry clients in their transactional matters, mergers, acquisitions, and joint ventures, and happy to be talking to you today. Thanks so much, Deb. Daria, could you please do an introduction? Of course. I'm Daria Nguyenhouse. I'm a member in Mince's Boston office, and in December, I'll be marking my 33rd year of legal practice. I handle a lot of healthcare regulatory matters, especially in connection with transactions, and I have significant experience with the Massachusetts Health Policy Commission, which closely resembles California's OCA. Thanks so much, everyone. I'm really excited for our discussion today. And Laura, I know that you and several colleagues have been following the newly created Office of Healthcare Affordability in California and its proposed regulations. And you recently published a few helpful blog posts, which I'd love to direct our listeners to. And I thought it would be great to have a discussion here so that we can provide everyone with some practical guidance on what they might need to be considering with respect to future transactions, leveraging our experience in Massachusetts and other similar states, and also any considerations that we might want to put forward in comments submitted in response to the proposed regulations. So listeners, by way of background, the Office of Healthcare Affordability was created by SB 184 in 2022. It has three primary responsibilities, managing spending targets, monitoring system performance, and assessing market consolidation. In furtherance of these goals, beginning January 1st, 2024, the OHCA will begin cost and impact review of certain healthcare mergers, acquisitions, affiliations, and other arrangements that result in material changes of assets, control, or governance that happen on or after April 1st, 2024. So through this cost and market impact review, the OHCA will analyze transactions that are likely to significantly impact market competition, the state's ability to meet targets, or affordability for consumers and purchasers. So these recently published regulations detail when healthcare entities are subject to notice and review and how the process will work. So that sets the stage for our discussion today. Laura, can you kick us off with some details on who or what entities will be subject to the advanced transaction review as it's currently proposed? I'm so glad you asked that question, Bridget, because I think it will take some folks by surprise. Subject to certain limited exceptions, healthcare entities subject to the law include healthcare service plans, health insurers, third-party administrators, management services organizations in some cases, hospitals, hospital systems, fully integrated delivery systems, pharmacy benefit managers, physician organizations with greater than 25 physicians, and other providers such as ambulatory surgery centers, 
certain clinics, clinical labs, imaging facilities, and other types of health facilities. Affiliates, subsidiaries, and other entities that control, govern, or are financially responsible for a healthcare entity or that are subject to the control, governance, or financial control of a healthcare entity are also subject to this law. Under the proposed regulations, notice will be required by healthcare entities if they meet one or more of the following thresholds. The entities have annual revenue, as defined by regulation, of at least $25 million or own or control California assets of at least $25 million. Entities that have annual revenue of at least $10 million or own and control California assets of at least $10 million, but only if they are involved in a transaction with a healthcare entity satisfying the $25 million threshold. And finally, the entities that are located in or serving at least 50% of patients residing in health professions shortage area or HIPSA. Wow, Laura. It's hard to imagine who isn't covered by this law. That's incredible. Wow, it's very broad. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, my my next question for you is to think about, you know, and ask why this whole process is going to be so significant for people in this space. Um, and it's, you know, I can imagine too, just starting off, it's so broad um, that it impacts so many different entities. But in general, what is so significant about this change and the proposed notice and review process? So prior to SB 184's enactment, only certain healthcare transactions were reviewed by California agencies, most commonly with respect to licensing and government program enrollment, with the exception of nonprofit hospital transactions, which were subject to attorney general review in some cases. This new process, as you noted, captures a broad range of healthcare entities, including some that are licensed by the state and therefore haven't been subject to much state oversight. It also captures nine types of material change transactions that are required to submit notice if entities meet the thresholds we discussed. Notably, all healthcare entities located in or serving at least 50% of patients residing in a HIPSA, regardless of whether or not the entity directly provides patient services, are subject to these notice requirements. Additionally, you know, one category of transactions triggering notice requirements includes any change of membership involving a 10% change in the control of responsibility for or governance of a healthcare entity, of substitution of one or more members or other arrangement that would transfer full or partial voting control of the members of the governing body, and transfer of 10% of the administrative or operation of control or governance of at least one entity that is party to the transaction. I think it's also important to note that entities that are not subject to the notice requirements can still be impacted by these new requirements if they're entering a transaction with an entity that is subject to the law. So, for example, technology vendors associated with the provision of healthcare services, you know, software vendors, telehealth platforms, EHR, could have their agreements scrutinized when their customers are subject to notice requirements because their services are considered healthcare services for purposes of the proposed regulations. Another example is that smaller physician groups, not subject to notice requirements because they fall below the 25 physician threshold, would nonetheless have their transaction subject to the process indirectly if another party of the transaction meets the notice thresholds we discussed. It is unclear to me whether healthcare entities meeting threshold requirements would need to provide notice upon entering into a new management services agreement in some cases, but it seems like 
more comprehensive services arrangements could be interpreted to transfer more than 10% of administrative or operational control. So under the proposed regulation, the notice process will require a substantial amount of information to be submitted in narrative form, along with supporting documentation, which generally will be considered part of the public record and will be made available to the public in advance of transaction closing, subject to certain exceptions for confidential information. This is a big deal for a lot of our clients. According to the OHCA, during the August 15th, 2023 hearing, supporting documentation will be made available to the public on its website if it is determined a CMIR will be conducted. Otherwise, it will just be the summary information that's provided. Under the proposed regulations, entities submitting notice may file two versions of the notice, one redacted marked public and one marked confidential. Supporting documentation may also be redacted and certain records are deemed confidential by the regulation and they give examples of stock purchase agreements, compensation documents, and contract rates. But a redaction log must be submitted stating the basis of confidentiality and how long such confidential treatment is necessary. And it is unclear what happens when the OHCA does not agree with a notice emitter that the information is confidential. The process will also push certain transaction timelines back substantially and at this point, the OHCA had not proposed any regulations that would allow for ex expedited review, even though the statute specifically allows the OHCA to do so. Wow, Laura, this is a very comprehensive process. About how long do you think it will take? Well, transactions subject to notice requirements may not proceed without first obtaining a waiver, which could take a minimum of 150 days, or until 60 days after a CMIR is conducted and the final report is issued. And doing that math, it would be approximately eight months at least from when the notice is submitted and could easily take more than a year between permissible extensions and tolling of timeframes for additional requested documentation. So this is going to be a, a very long process. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like it will probably push transaction timelines back substantially. Um, has there been any proposed regulations that allow for an expedited review? At this point, there are no regulations proposed for an expedited review, and that has been one of the things that was raised during the comment hearing earlier this week. Yeah, so about that public hearing, um, what was anything unexpected there? What types of comments were people raising? So the first thing I noticed was how quickly the OHCA reminded the public that their ability to review is not limited to transactions and that they may choose to conduct <laughs> a cost and market impact review in the event of market failures and shifts in market power. I also note that you know this agency has access to a substantial amount of information and will be analyzing it. So you know, just that alone, I think they could decide to, to do a cost and market impact review. Soon after making that statement, uh, a member of the public requested market fairly review of certain hospitals. So, you know, we can see that you know, this, this is going to, to be an issue. Comments were also provided by various organizations and individuals who represent healthcare entities and investors. Not surprisingly, about the broad scope of the types of entities and transactions that could be subject to review, the extremely long timeframes and lack of expedited review, as I mentioned, two different aspects that were of particular concern. One is, you know, review during a bankruptcy, and to review of distressed providers. Distressed providers could have to close before this process even completes. The lack of clarity surrounding when notice needs 
to be submitted? And when management services organizations are subject to the requirements, is it all MSOs or is it just those that meet the definition of payer? I would think the latter because otherwise that exceeds the legislative authority and how confidentiality will be handled in more detail. The OHCA seemed particularly interested in the types of transactions not involving exchange of assets or change of control that would be captured by the regulations as drafted. So for those submitting comments, it may be helpful to provide more examples of the types of transactions that would get caught in this process that really don't have anything to do with what the OHCA is supposed to be doing and offer suggestions on how to narrow the scope to significant transactions. One commenter also noted that there isn't a cap on the costs that would need to be reimbursed to the state, which could have a chilling effect on certain healthcare entities. The commenter suggested following Oregon's approach, making fees proportionate to the entity and capping costs at $100,000. Commenters representing other interests requested lower review thresholds, citing the number of hospitals that would not be subject to review under the current regulations and the need for changes in labor markets to be an independent basis for a CMIR review. It also suggested was suggested more than once that public notice and hearing process be included as part of the cost and market impact review reporting process. Laura, this is fascinating. You were raising so many interesting points and comments that arose at the hearing. And, you know, helpfully, we have members of our team who have been dealing with these issues in numerous other states for many years. And so I wanted to ask you, Deb, you know, what are some of the practical implications of this new process that you are seeing and that you might have dealt with um, for your clients? Sure. I'll address a few of the steps we're taking now and recommending to our clients for the near future. So first, and perhaps most obviously, I'm advising our healthcare entity clients who have California transactions currently in their pipeline to try to complete them during this calendar year to the extent feasible. We understand that that's not always possible. So for those transactions not yet in the pipeline, or for those not able to be completed this year, and by the way, which meet the applicable size thresholds, uh, we're working with them to start planning now for these lengthier transaction timelines, including educating their legal, business development, and integration teams about these new requirements. As Lara noted, the review process will push certain transaction timelines back substantially. And so far, OHCA, as she said, hasn't proposed any regulations that would allow for expedited review. So, you know, even the waiver process itself could take a minimum of 150 days, which may come as a surprise to a lot of healthcare entities looking to sell, buy, or otherwise transfer ownership or control. So the, the second thing we're doing when assessing a potential transaction, whether as a buyer or a seller, healthcare entities should be considering and addressing factors that could increase the overall cost and availability of healthcare services. These are going to be highly reviewed areas. So for example, a buyer could conduct analysis of anticipated impact on reimbursement rates, uh, care referral patterns access to needed services and or quality of care early in the due diligence review timeline. So that is as part of its initial go, no-go diligence analysis and decision-making process. Third, healthcare entities that 
previously would not have had to have their transactions reviewed, should be preparing now for the disclosures that will have to be made. As Laura mentioned earlier, under the proposed regulations, entities submitting notice may redact supporting documentation and certain documents that are deemed confidential. But it's not clear what happens when OHCA does not agree with a request for confidential treatment. So healthcare entities' forms of purchase agreements, compensation agreements, intercompany agreements, management services agreements, et cetera, should be reviewed now for terms, rates, restrictive covenants, or, or things like that that can be entirely removed or at least moved to exhibits that can be more easily redacted. And of course, all of these documents that could be subject to disclosure should be carefully reviewed for compliance with state law. Lastly, um, related to and complicating this last point, California prohibits the corporate practice of medicine, like many of the other states with healthcare entity transaction review laws, by the way, and that includes Massachusetts, New York, Connecticut, Nevada, and Oregon. Therefore, the arrangements in place between large physician practices and their shareholders and their management companies should be carefully assessed not only for competitively sensitive information and compliance with state law, but also to ensure that ultimate control over the operations and administration of the physician practices remains with physician shareholders. Deb, these are excellent points and really helpful insights. I, I think as our listeners, you know, you know, you might be preparing for transactions or thinking about things. And I think this is going to be really helpful, you know, at the beginning part of a due diligence process to really consider, you know, what is the impact of this new disclosure process? And, you know, can we or should we move forward with the proposed transaction? Daria, are there any tips that you can share for making the process smoother? Well, I'm not sure how successful they'll be on making the process smoother, but I can certainly share some tips as a matter of general regulatory practice and in connection with these advanced transaction reviews. So first of all, regulatory and transactional counsel for the parties should review how OHCA's additional advanced transaction review may or may not align with other regulatory review processes. For example, which processes may run concurrently and which require sequential timing? This affects not only the regulatory approval process, but the overall transaction timeline. As with most regulatory reviews, many aspects of the process will fall outside of the control of the parties undergoing the review. So it's important to effectively manage what you can. Careful planning, efficient gathering of information, and thoughtful communications with regulators is key. Lawyers should educate clients on the OHCA Advanced Transaction Review requirements and process. With any new review process, that can be challenging as there is a learning curve for everyone. But as OHCA reviews transactions going forward, lawyers would be well advised to monitor the process and learn from OHCA's initial reviews. For example, in evaluating notices of material change, the Massachusetts Health Policy Commission, or HPC, will often request, as part of their review process, which has been in place for some time, additional information. As part of that effort, 
the HPC may schedule a virtual meeting with parties filing notices of material change before deeming a notice complete. The OHCA regulations allow for requesting more information from submitters, so it's possible OHCA will include an interview process. In that case, I would encourage clients to think early in the process about whom they would put forward to participate in a meeting. Participants should, of course, know the nuts and bolts of the transaction. However, they should be able to go beyond mechanics and be prepared to speak to factors that are germane to OHCA's review as potentially affecting the overall cost and availability of healthcare services. This is an opportunity to highlight how a transaction is anticipated to have a positive effect upon factors important to OHCA, such as reimbursement rates, care referral patterns, access to services, or quality of care. Particularly with a new regulatory process, I would not hesitate to contact OHCA for guidance. Unless circumstances of a particular transaction suggest otherwise, I think it goes a long way to give regulators a heads-up, so to speak, about an upcoming filing, particularly if the proposed transaction may attract public or media attention. Not only is this a courtesy, but early and ongoing outreach can establish positive working relationships that not only further your client's interests, but help the agency conduct an efficient review. As always, be mindful of transaction agreement requirements regarding communications with governmental authorities and plan according. Finally, as the California Health Law Bar begins working through the OHCA process, I would look to professional associations and law firms for information, particularly regarding any guidance that OHCA may issue, or educational sessions such as webinars, which provide a valuable opportunity to share lessons learned. Daria, these tips are all so helpful, and I couldn't agree more that with any new regulatory process, communication and careful planning is key. Um, you know, we often find this too in the federal program space. Giving a heads up to the regulator does go a long way, and it can smooth the entire process just with that open open door for communication. So I definitely really appreciate that tip a lot. Laura, Deb, Daria, thank you again so much for joining us today. This discussion has been very interesting, and I know it gave our listeners a lot to consider. Listeners, comments in response to the proposed rules are due by the end of the month, August 31st. Should you have any questions about OHCA's proposals or would like to discuss it further, please feel free to reach out to any of us directly or email us at healthlawdiagnosed at I'm Bridget Keller, and this was Health Law diagnosed.